it is also about acceptance of the present and one's full position mm-hmm. and then whatever your duty is the thing that you're supposed to be doing is paramount i want to be good in like all capacity in any mm-hmm. like format a lot of people are trapped as well in philosophies that really are kind of productive to the way they are and the way they mm-hmm. think i think they're more allowing more allowing yeah in, in what sense i think a lot of enlightenment comes from So do you want to start now then? I mean, however you want. I mean, we just kind of talk about the day. Like, I don't know. I for one, I'm super stoked that we got like martial arts in. Like, mm, <laughs> kind of reminded me how much I missed it, and like how much I need that to be a bigger part of my life. Because mm. I think, because I started when I was seven, doing doing martial arts, and like that's always been a really big part of my life through like through high school. Kind of took a little backseat in college, and then kind of been off and on since then. And like even now, I still teach on weekends mm. at like this taekwondo studio but it's like we just do some cool like weapon stuff so not like a lot of combat not like jujitsu not like boxing or anything just mm. like demonstration weapon stuff which is fun as hell like i still really like that but like i need i need some more mm. more combat you mm. know in my life. well like what do you think got it got you into combat sports got me into it well mm. i started because i didn't like soccer because okay. i was like the typical sport it's like oh you just mm. do soccer right and then i was like okay that that ain't it, chief. And then I spent a little time. I was like seven, you know. So like, yeah, yeah. Signed me yeah up for, you really were young. Yeah, they signed me up for like a martial arts class, and I'm like, this is sick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's something cool about just being a ninja. Like this is yeah. what you want to do. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But even more so, I think there's something really empowering about having a confidence in your ability to handle yourself both physically and then also the discipline through that develops you mentally. Mm-hmm. It makes you a much stronger person. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to enter a room without knowing that I can handle myself. Mm-hmm. Like, that's going to be terrifying mm-hmm. because you're just at the mercy of fucking whatever. Yeah. So. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And it, it is, I, I feel the same way and I also got into the young, but what brought me back is what you're speaking about, which is that sort of getting that confidence in your own abilities and having a real practical skill that you can employ, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I started off young, but I lacked the the maturity to really appreciate mm. what was going on and for me to really fall in love with the sport because I tried boxing when I was about 13. And it was cool, and it did teach me a lot. It definitely it drilled some fundamentals into me, which was cool, to, which yeah. is nice. But I just, I didn't have what I have now and that I've gotten, you know, especially like growing up. Um, coming out of high school and sort of going down the more philosophical route and and that sort of like embracing of pain mm-hmm. um, but yeah and it's and I think even seeing today with the other guys it speaks to a lot of people more than they think it would so like really? they might be a bit like apprehensive at yeah. first but then like once they get into it, they really do get into it and they really do enjoy it mm-hmm. because this is something innate in us especially us guys I mean, with some like you know 100%. with some good people and there's a bit of sport involved, you know, and you... You're built for it. Like, as a human for, being, yes. you're built for it. Mm. Like, how we evolved as hunter-gatherers, tribal days. Mm. Like, your monkey brain has, like, a little switch that comes on. Like, part of it is survival, but that'll it'll switch you on to, like, oh, I'm in it now. Mm-hmm. We gotta we gotta fight. Mm-hmm. And and, and it'll, it'll, it'll make you fight. It'll, it'll let you make do you it. fight, yeah. And it feels good sometimes. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of power that you feel, but... 
and this is why I think like I appreciate martial arts as an art form just as much as like a combative sport because of like even like people like you know talk down on certain martial arts because like oh that's not applicable mm. like that always like shows me how immature someone is because applicable to what like sure no one's doing mm. tai chi to get in a street fight mm-hmm. no one's doing that like that's not even part of the conversation no one believes that right <laughs> yeah no, 100 percent. yeah yeah so it's yeah. like what are you even why are you even here like saying oh this is useless bs like yes it is you're right but like useless for what yeah exactly martial arts fundamentally for me has been like a playground of principles right so there's so many fundamental principles that you get out of martial arts that you don't really see you see other places because they're fundamental principles and the dots do connect but martial arts has like such a high level across the board of all the principles that i deem valuable Mm -hmm. right and you know just from like discipline self-awareness dealing with stuff patience dealing with pain and suffering perseverance like the list goes on and on mm. delayed gratification mm-hmm. you know being able to conquer your own insecurities confidence it's immeasurable mm-hmm. and nothing else that i found has has those qualities as principles to the level that martial arts does mm-hmm. broadly mm-hmm. and this is why like I'm, I'm really lucky that the martial art that i first started was called bak fudo it's a it's a mixed style so it had elements from like taekwondo karate jiu-jitsu kickboxing kung fu like it had a bunch of different elements mm-hmm. kind of mixed in its own little style with the goal of being able to like handle any kind of situation against any martial artist so mm-hmm. it exposed me a little bit to like jiu-jitsu kind of stuff striking arts kickboxing mma and so now that has allowed me to explore other martial arts as a whole rather than just being like a fanboy of one mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like there's a lot of people like oh i only do taekwondo that's the best mm-hmm. well for this situation yes, yes yes but wouldn't it be cool to be able to do that when you need it but then also do this when you need that yeah right yeah no i agree with that i mean i'm also i want to be good in like all capacity in any mm-hmm. like format you know because yeah, you have the potential up. to you have the potential exactly you have the potential to so why so you would have you... the responsibility to exactly so this actually brings me to a question because you were speaking about Buddhist philosophy and their perspectives of pain and acknowledging it and taking it on board and that helps you like better mm-hmm. deal with it. So I was wondering if you're familiar with Stoicism at all. Yes. If you're into Stoicism because like there are a lot of parallels you mm-hmm. can draw between the two because for Stoics, it is also about acceptance of the present and one's full position mm-hmm. and then whatever your duty is, the thing that you're supposed to be doing is paramount to mm-hmm. nothing else. So it doesn't matter the pain... Um, uh, or the agony, or or whatever might be associated with this, associated with that situation, isn't really the important thing. It's about doing what you need to do. Hundred percent. So, yeah, because I I'm I'm being into stoicism, yeah. so that's kind of like the perspective. But I mean, like I said, it, the lines really do blur between the two. So, well, most philosophies, and this this extends into like religion and spiritual practices as well. They really talk about the same thing. And that's just evidence to me that, hey, like, we're on to something, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, mm-hmm. if multiple different groups or people from multiple time periods across the world come up with the same relative conclusion, it's like, oh, that's probably something you should listen to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons why, like, I, I when I gave my my little, little workshop the other day, I did talk, a lot of it was kind of framed around Buddhism because that's, like, a very, like, fundamental part. And there was, um, it was kind of, like, the track of the story I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. But there was definitely some like stoicism. I had like a Seneca quote um, in there as well. Quote, yeah. So it, it's 
it's very relevant and mm -hmm. there is a ton of overlap mm -hmm. but some of the reasons why i didn't go full stoicism was because i know a lot of you guys already have that perspective that's true so i, I also want to like enrich you in a way that some people aren't expecting mm -hmm. because that's where you find a lot of really creative novel ideas from and that's where, where, where something really special comes out of because mm -hmm. just doing what everyone's already read like yeah eh, whatever yeah. sure we've already heard that why yeah. am i here you know yeah but if i if i have a better chance of giving you something that is is not what you're expecting mm -hmm. i'm more often than not going to try for that mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a just the story that i wanted to tell as well as just a different perspective mm. i mean i think you did a good job as well you thank mean, you the story told with the, the buffalo and the cow and the storm situation i mean no one here is going to forget that you know it's, it became, it's, it's pretty you know, impactful yeah yeah so it's it's cool it's cool to impart that onto mm -hmm. like people like you're mm -hmm. saying really deliver just another perspective something fresh something that's hard hitting you know and that sits with people so 100%. yeah yeah i was really impressed too with, with you guys i think it was uh manasha cool drink he had a different perspective about it so like you know the buffalo they go into the storm so they suffer less because they face it head on they don't worry about it and they get through it faster versus cattle they run away so they're worrying about it and then they also spend a lot of more time in the storm but he also said something about like you face the storm to chase grass that's been watered already mm -hmm. whereas the cows are running away from the pain and all they're getting is grass that hasn't been watered yet mm -hmm. so it's dead mm -hmm. and like that was in, uh, such a a deeper level to that story that i've never heard anyone else say mm -hmm. and i haven't even thought of myself mm -hmm. and i was like whoa that was a beautiful that's really insight, really yeah. cool yeah. to see how my stories can influence someone to self-generate another idea and enrich the entire group and that was like i'm really just grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that mm -hmm. it's that's like why i'm here yeah yeah no, <laughs> that was awesome no yeah so i was curious about like your philosophy in general how did you start getting into it that is a for a me, long question for me personally yeah. I, it was through adam watts actually in oh, high school yeah um and he talks a lot about Taoism and stuff like that um and also again about just not being too caught up in things in a lot of ways and just letting the, the flow of things happen and i think that really sort of helped me especially in, in a high school setting mm -hmm. you know mm, you go into especially. high school and as much as people you know it's always like be yourself it's it's you you never are. It's you, so fake. <laughs> it's so fake and you do try and fit in and you do try certain things. Because they tell you to like, oh, be who you are. By the way, you have to have check off every single box in this checklist yes. to become what we expect you to become. Yes. Good luck. Yes. It's like, what the hell? Yes. It's absurd. Yes. <laughs> no, it, it is absurd. It is absurd. So I was kind of glad and I, and I had a friend who was also interested in that mm -hmm. kind of nice. influenced me. So that was nice because I, I think it did fast track um, a lot of problems that i you know i could have mm -hmm, sat with mm -hmm. for a while i didn't have to anymore you know which helped you, me you learned how to be a person like a human being mm. earlier than most because that's one of the things that traditional education does not do mm -hmm. it doesn't teach you how to be a person mm -hmm. that's kind of left to like well maybe your parents will and you if, have to be inquisitive if they're even able to because sometimes yes. their parents don't even know how to be a person yes like just fully embrace who you are as a human being mm -hmm. and and this is why that that's another reason that got me kind of into philosophy is like you know things aren't adding up mm -hmm. <laughs> right it's like mm -hmm. what am i going to do about it and that kind of leads you on this journey this rabbit hole of self-exploration but i do remember because i'd probably say a lot of my personal growth came from during the period when i was in, in, in university because like before that just going through college or sorry high school very like 
academic focused on like, I have to be a perfectionist, I'm smart, I have to be the smartest person, and I have to do these hard academic things because that's what smart people do. Mm-hmm. And it was completely like external. And like, well, part of it was internal because I do still have a passion for those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But the actual reasons and perfectionistic aspect of that did not come internally right and that led to a lot of conflict because there's a conflict of interest from external versus internal and that's going to lead to a lot of pain which you attach to one of those ends and that leads to suffering so in in college i i first year i took an ethics course which to be fair didn't get a ton out of that Mm -hmm. but what it did do is it exposed me to like a bunch of different philosophers so like we went through like Nietzsche, Kant, mm. um, Lao Tzu was also kind of in there as well. So like I was exposed to the Tao Te Ching and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Let's kind of read this. Let's read more about this. And mm. it started kind of getting more eclectic um, perspective of, of all these different philosophies on my own time, even mm. after I took that class. And it's hard to say what exactly led me to a lot of the things that I learned. But somewhere during that time, I also got into like a more like spirituality from both western and eastern sides Mm -hmm. meditating wim hof breathing and and just kind of experimenting on like how to change my mind and my body and the interplay between those because they're Mm -hmm. not really that different when you kind of understand them more and then how that relates to your spirit because that's like kind of also a a separate thing but people often kind of stop it being separate but it's also the same it's it it ends up being very like circular Mm -hmm. because the path to enlightenment i guess is not a straight line up the mountain it's more like a a kind of a spiral it's like an infinite spiral path where you end up looping back on the same lessons sometimes but you gain new ones along the way mm-hmm. right and, and appreciating that process through like you know going with the flow like what alan watts talks about is mm-hmm. like very very important for detaching from the results of like like you're never going to get to enlightenment by trying to be enlightened mm-hmm. you're only going to get to enlightenment by appreciating that this is an infinite process. Mm-hmm. And then it's this very like contradictory thing where you actually get what you want by not needing what you want mm-hmm. because you no longer have the desire and therefore you no longer have the lack. It eliminates it completely. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But through that kind of whole time period is kind of where I started getting a lot into that and then just picked up things along the way. It's, it's hard to say I had a, a particular path or flashpoint that really led me down that path. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to, it's always nice to have a full range of things. Like you're saying, you, you got that eclectic perspective because it's important. You'll take, you'll take some things and you'll reject some things. You know, you've got to form, there's no absolute truth. Mm. And so it's something might mm-hmm. identify to a large degree for you and like, geez, it's almost a hundred percent, but it's not really. And mm-hmm. there's like things you can like pick uh, and learn from. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a nice, it's nice to have that full broad I love I love how casually you said there's no absolute truth mm. <laughs> because you kind of accepted that you kind of accept that as a truth that there's no absolute truth. Uh, I know it's kind of weird like that. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. but it's interesting to also to see like I talk with people like you where it's like, oh, there's no absolute truth. And it's like very clear, very mm. kind of obvious. Like, oh, of course not, because it's all relative based on perspective. Like maybe there's some absolute truth, mm. but no one has it mm-hmm. because like they're all just different reflections, different facets of that source god truth whatever you want to call it yes and and that's what kind of makes a lot of sense to me and it's interesting because like i've recently interacted with some people who are very like like what do you mean there's no like no there's absolute truth you idiot mm-hmm. and it's like they're they're very very clear on the other side interesting and it kind of makes you step back like wait a minute 
am I wrong? Like, you know what? Ever, yeah. Kind of makes you question things, which is good. But you also have to understand, like, people think things for a reason. Like, no one's just really, like, no one's, like, that stupid. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, no one's, like, actually an idiot sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but everyone has a reason for thinking the way they do. Yes. And appreciating the fact that if I were in their situation with their upbringing and their mm-hmm. environment, I mm-hmm. would think that way too. 100%. 100%. 100%. So when, when they say, like, oh, there's no absolute truth, and then you ask them kind of more questions, like, okay, so do you think, like, your religion is, like, the absolute truth? It's like, yes, okay, it's like, okay, follow-up question. Like, do you think your religion is the entire truth? Like, every bit of truth is in your religion. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yes. And then the follow-up question, that's like, okay, does that mean then that every other religion, or just using that as an example, but you could apply basically anything to that, is fully wrong? Because if yours is fully right and there's a, a, a absolute truth, mm-hmm. then that must mean, by consequence, that this is fully, fully wrong. Fully wrong. And right. they're pretty much like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, whoa. That yeah. was kind of like a... um. I had to. I, at some point, you can't just like straight up tell people they're wrong. Yeah. Right. Because like I don't even know. Maybe they're right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But it, that was kind of like an interesting perspective. Like, whoa! Like that's a very, very different level of conviction for a different thing mm-hmm. than like I've explored and discovered. And because my f- worldviews are based on my best guess of what I think is happening. Yeah. But it might be wrong. It might be whatever. But it's interesting to see like certain levels of conviction across different religions and their willingness to even accept new information, mm. let alone change based on that new information. Mm-hmm. So that, that was just kind of like an interesting conversation I had with that person. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it is interesting also with people who claim this to be an absolute truth, but then haven't read another religious text. So right. then mm-hmm. how can you say that without having done like your full investigation to really determine like what is what Absolutely. you know so you are basically just a circumstantial let's say christian or muslim mm-hmm. so it's, it's largely based on where you're born in fact it's entirely based on where you're born so if it isn't had, it convenient is it, yeah that like oh you just happen to you see, end up in the right one lucky you everyone else is going to hell but lucky you but if you put yourself in someone who was born into a muslim country and they're muslim it's like they you're the same the person they think the same way and yeah. so you, you exactly so for someone who has read the religious text and they find like whatever they find Fair i point. can you know i can respect that because at least they've considered Mm-hmm. the board i think know? it's so important that's an incredibly important point you brought up mm. to expose yourself to things and actually fully question your beliefs because there's a quote by um man i always forget the guy's name but i'll figure it out at some point we question all of our beliefs except those that we hold most dear those are the ones we never think to question because a lot of times people they have their beliefs and then they just assume they're true mm-hmm. and the most strong ones are just the deepest assumptions that they have mm-hmm. they never question them mm-hmm. so how do you know if it holds up mm-hmm. if you are true if you truly believe in something it is not only like your your responsibility but it's your duty to question that because don't you want to see if it holds up mm-hmm. what if it doesn't are you scared i think a lot of people are a lot of people a lot of scared. people are just scared that, that is true that so is they just true. make these bold brash claims to really convince themselves mm. that they're doing right because people don't like to be told that they've done things wrong their entire lives uh, yeah definitely. even though once you kind of go through that process you then realize no things you didn't do things wrong your mm-hmm. entire life you did things in a way that was necessary your entire life because everything happens for you yes it leads you to the point you are yes. your past is destiny yes. and your future is your free will yes and as long as you keep that perspective and act accordingly i think that's a very very powerful powerful place to live life from Mm, I agree and that actually made me think of another quote which is you never learn the thing you think you already know mm-hmm. which is true and you don't um, 
and for the reason you pointed out, I think a lot of the time it is just fear of really finding out the truth, you know? And that's why we don't always dig that deep inwards. Do you think it's fear of finding out the truth or is it fear of being wrong? Interesting. That's, yeah, because there's the distinction between the two. Um, I think it's, I think when it comes to existential things, there might be the fear of just being wrong. Mm. And it's, yeah. Well, that gets into an ego conversation. Yeah. And like the strength and weaknesses. Well, well, and of, yeah, I guess also the, the role fear of the, of the ego truth. Plays. Yeah, it's like the, you fear the truth because like if you are wrong, yeah, it's tough. It's tricky. Existential mm. things are tricky and they do make us act. Well, it means you don't know anymore. Yeah. And, and uncertainty is kind of like a hardwired human avoidance mm. because your monkey brain is like, I don't know how to survive. Even if you logically know this is a better thing, people will usually default to what's familiar with them because mm. even if it's, it's like garbage, even if it's terrible, but your brain is like, that's familiar. We know we can survive because mm-hmm. your brain is like, you have this like subconscious operating system that just like keep this meat bag alive mm-hmm. at all costs, mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's like a very like hard thing to overcome, especially if you don't have a good relationship with your ego. Mm. So what is your like, what is your classification of an ego? Mm. Good question. Yeah. I think um, it's important to start with kind of most people's classification or definition of the ego, which is usually a negative thing. Like it's usually considered in a lot of like spiritual circles, especially like the new age stuff that like your ego is the enemy. Mm. It is bad. It is something that keeps you self-centered and locked in old patterns. And the faster you can kill that thing, the better. But I disagree. I think the ego is your co-pilot. Your ego supports whatever narrative you give it. That is what it's designed to do. And it's hard to like tangibly describe what an ego is. So I usually come at it as from a perspective, like what is this, what purpose does this thing hold, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like it holds some purpose and, and it's important to understand like, well, what did that thing do for me? Whether you want to accept it or not. Mm. So with an ego, like I was saying before, like it is your co-pilot, but it's also like needs to keep it in its place. An overactive ego, which usually actually is, is a damaged or a weak ego, mm. that's when people kind of let it take over because then they're reactive to situations and they're reacting based on fear of being wrong or being attacked or whatever. And their ego kind of comes into play, takes the main seat in the, in the pilot's chair, and then, and then runs the show, mm-hmm. right? But if you actually have a strong ego, a protective ego, it will protect whatever narrative that you give it. Mm-hmm. And you are no longer able to be swayed by the whims of the world, basically, or mm-hmm. external things because you know who you are mm-hmm. and your ego serves that purpose. Is that like framework that you can sort of just set yourself in and be 100%. solid, yeah. More or less, so yeah. do you think ego then, nature or nurture, to what extent is it nature, what extent is it nurture? Nature or nurture is a very interesting conversation. It is, there's, there's a few, there's another question right. I want to bring up with we'll this. We'll get there, because... Hmm. Ego being nature or nurture. I think ego is probably more nurture than nature. Mm-hmm. At least that's kind of what I'm thinking right now mm-hmm. because a lot of it can kind of be taught. And the fact that I can change my relationship with my ego means I can nurture it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the nature of the ego is inherent, but it might be more like consistent across humanity, like what it means to like be a human mm-hmm. like have a soul maybe there's that's something tied to an ego mm-hmm. and then how your relationship manifests is more like you're nurturing your environment your, your expectations external things and also internal things so i probably lean more on nurture 
the nature for ego. But now that we're kind of on the nature versus nurture topic, what do you think about like humans in general, like how we turn out? Like ego is a part of that, but there's also more. So like, what do you what do you think? Nature versus nurture. I th- I think most of it is is nature. Um. N- no, it it depends. It, it's interesting. It's tricky. It is tricky. But so, ultimately, nurture. Ultimately. Ult- ultimately, nurture. Does it have to be one thing? But obviously, it's not. So I think, so. if if I could like start from the beginning yeah. with, if you look at kids, right, and you ask yourself, is violence inherent or is it mm. taught? But if you just let kids interact, they are actually incredibly violent. Like, if you take my toy, the knee-jerk reaction is to <laughs> Monkey hit. Monkey brain, like, And then violence. you come and you teach, like, no, like, we don't hit, right? You nurture that. So you nurture that in. So you see. So I think we have the potential to be fully nature in an uncivil society. Mm-hmm. But because we're in a civil society, we are largely molded to our surroundings. So does that sort of mean, because I know you said casually earlier like there's no objective truth is there objective morality i i think so hmm. i think so and, and, and yeah this is very true so how much of what we deem as objective or right morality yeah is actually nurtured versus nature you know because yeah. in my perspective if something is is objective or inherent mm. it would have to be nature Right. Because mm-hmm. given any circumstances, it would be repeatable. Like, let's mm-hmm. say, you know, another alien civilization, if there's objective morality, they're going to be have the nature to manifest that in mm-hmm. their society as well. Or even if you just drop a kid off in the middle of nowhere or a little society there, they would kind of recreate that mm-hmm. level of morality mm-hmm. as well. So I see what you're saying. And it it is interesting because like the objective answer to that question would change depending where you go in history right so that so that does it does change it's it's because things don't need things i think things can still be objective and not be this be constant yes object uh, that's a weird one to say but like objectivity doesn't really need constant because constant would imply over time yes right a constant in time yes but objectivity could be relative to the age it could be it could be by so many factors that's an interesting yeah yeah Hmm. and that's why i think ethics becomes an interesting discussion also when Hmm. you're seeing is ethics absolute right because people also say like well back in the day when they were doing um if you look at you know nazi germany um slavery communist russia north korea right um when you look at all all those uh i just lost my point actually yeah let me just think but it is relative though to what purpose it serves can i yeah Yeah. can i touch back on my point so what they're saying is in those situations in those bad situations if you were to ask someone like is this is what we're doing right but you ask the german he'd say yes right Mm. but ethics is tricky because ethics is saying that it still exists even if you're unaware to it Mm. but you haven't been enlightened to the fact that ethics is there but it still applies because by and large people would condemn that behavior right. and do condemn that behavior in hindsight. And so there were ethical issues present, even if they don't, they aren't recognized as ethical issues, which is kind of an interesting yeah. thing. Who gets to decide that though? If is it, it was is present it, or is not. It, is it just the victors? Is it just the people who write the history books? Or is it more sort of implied that like, well, over time, the right ethics will come through and manifest? I think, I think that's the thing because I think it's, Ethics is such a, you got to almost consult the human spirit where it's mm-hmm. like, 
is murder correct? Like, right. you know what I mean? It's on so many fundamental issues mm. where the people on top, yes, are, are, are normally cruel. And when they do write the history books, they take a certain narrative. But if you were to do interviews with the general population, what are their thoughts? What general are their population. Feelings? Yeah. And you see, and it's different because people are probably going to be like, no, this is, what we're doing isn't right. Do you think there's a difference between... So if, if you're like using an example of like murder is bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like most people would probably say that's, that's a, a thing that they agree with. Mm-hmm. But does, does this idea of objective morality apply just to humans? Because there are entire ecosystems that rely on murder, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, so murder, it's different because murder, I'm not, I'm not killing because I need right. to kill. I guess, I guess, like, oh, that's interesting, like, versus necessity. Yeah. So I guess it's just a question, I guess the, the fundamental question I'm trying to ask here is, does objective morality apply universally? Or is it just more of a human thing? Mm-hmm. I and think, then follow-up question is, like, I think what makes humans so arrogant to think that they're above or different than anything else? Which, to be fair, is could be true. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. I'm not saying it's not a one way or the other. It's just a question. Yeah. I think... I think it is, morality is a human question. I just don't think animals have that comprehension. They don't have the capacity. They for don't it. have that capacity thought. Or, yeah, they don't have the capacity for a lot of things that we capable of doing. And there's something about the human brain's complexity that it's able to sort of romanticize and mm. and and be that 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 um, poetic nature of our minds. It's beautiful, but it also can be sad, and we can like feel sorry for ourselves, and we can. We have these certain emotions that animals don't really display. Jealousy, maybe, in dogs. But a lot of the time, if you if you watch how animals behave, and especially lions when they're injured in the wild, they don't have the sense to feel sorry for themselves. Hmm. They're injured. They don't very even, stoic. like... They're very stoic. They go, they lie yeah. down, and they die. They don't... There's no... They lack that, like, extra layer where you start to reflect on things. Hmm. And I think when you start reflecting on things, and, and, you, and you're in a society, especially now where a lot of your needs are met and yeah. you can kind of, you left to your you own You don't question if there's a different way. Yeah, and like, I think it leads, there's moral choices now that you can uh, make, but there's no choice in the wild. It's all just very cut and no dry. Choice. And they don't even make so the it, choice. Is there no free will then beyond humanity? There, that it's not really a free will thing. It's mm. just that it's, it's just not immoral for a lion to kill an impala. The same way I don't think it's immoral for me to kill an intruder coming into my house. Fair. Fair play. Do you see? Because it's, it's, so there's that, that, that sort of context where, yes, in the situation context, where yeah. when it's expected of you and that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I think in the wild and for animals, they just do what is expected of them. Mm-hmm. But chimps are different. If you look at primates, they are different. And they, so they it does do, exist on a spectrum. So it does right? exist on yeah. a spectrum, actually, if I think about it. And it, it, if huh. you look at animals that are closer to us, they do they act closer to us where they maybe do something out of spite. So, because everything is, is basically on a spectrum. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I have enough evidence to, at least my working theory is that the universe that we live in is a dualistic universe. There's always polarity involved. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's binary, mm-hmm. right? That That's working in too many absolutes, right? There's always going to be spectrums just defined by a dualistic input, mm-hmm. end, end points, right? And then going from like certain animals versus like an insect versus a lion versus mm-hmm. an impala versus a chimp versus a human, there there are kind of range in terms of this like objectivity of morality, ethics, nature versus nurture, and so like going back to kind of nature versus nurture, like 
I think that is also a, a big spectrum. I think humanity lies like more weighted towards the like if you have uh, nature on one side, nurture on the other side, weighs probably more closer to the nurture side than like a lion, mm -hmm. right? And then chimps might be somewhere in between as mm -hmm. well. So it kind of like the closer you get to humans, you're you're further along the nurture side. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there is no nature, and it would be kind of an interesting thought experiment to be like, okay, well, would there exist a being or a species or a race of aliens or whatever that would be fully nature nurture or fully nurture because so fully nature. nature i feel like we kind of have examples of like yes, a plant yes. is kind of like yes well you can nurture it but like like let's say like an ant, it. maybe it, it, all it's all it's like it's still on it's still working on on, on programmatic yes. responses yes. to stimuli yes. all you're doing is controlling stimuli mm, which is kind of nurture yes. but actually that brings another question is what if our definition of nurture is really just programmatic responses to stimuli and we just figured out the right stimuli to get a certain response for the survival maybe mm -hmm. it's all nature who knows who you knows, know right. that's a very, very interesting question that i just kind of yeah. thought of but it, i think practically at least what's useful because that's mm -hmm. another kind of thing is like a lot of times it's sometimes it's more like impactful to consider what's useful than what's true right and this mm -hmm. is kind of a very like touchy topic sometimes because some people prioritize truth absolutely but if something's tr like not tr objectively true but is useful for me well it's useful for me right mm, i like that yeah it's so it's true. like a lot of times i'll prioritize like well not just like is that true it's like it doesn't matter mm -hmm. is it useful mm -hmm. right so i think understanding nature nurture relationships is more useful even if it's not true mm -hmm. because i would rather believe that i'm more capable of change mm -hmm. how i nurture myself then maybe is reasonable to expect in truth, mm -hmm. right? Because that's always going to push me to maximize that yeah. direction. A good, um, do you know who Tom Bilyeu is? I don't. So Tom Bilyeu is, he kind of like, his main claim to fame was um, one of the co-founders of Quest Nutrition. Okay. It was like a billion dollar uh, nutrition company in America. They made like little like protein bars and things like that. They're actually pretty, pretty good. Okay. Um, and then he sold that and then went full-time into his business now. It's called Impact Theory, um, where he has, like, kind of his online, like, university education-style thing where he teaches people about, like, mindset and discipline and whatnot. And he also has a bunch of interviews with tons of different people and just kind of trying to figure out, like, what's going on, right? He's a fantastic podcaster and video interviewer or whatever. He's a G, right? So he has kind of this thing where he understands that, like – you can't make a pig into a racehorse, but you can make a damn fast pig, right? Okay. And so he's like, hey, I know that I don't have all the attributes. I don't know that I don't have all the talent. I'm not, by nature, the going to be the best. Mm -hmm. like, so I'm basically the pig in this situation, mm -hmm. but I can be a really fast pig, mm -hmm. right? So he's just sort of like focusing on, yeah, understanding you can't necessarily control everything about your nature, mm -hmm. but you can control your nurture and mm -hmm. be a really fast pig, mm -hmm. right? And that's, and that's kind of stoic, actually. Right? I think because it is. Like I he, think it is. he accepts he's a pig. I want to be a fast pig. I'm not going to try and be a racehorse, right? And it, it, it is. Yeah. It's that exception. You're, you're doing the most position. you can with what you have. Exactly. Right. right. And that's all we can really do. 100%. It's all yeah. you can really do. I think um, just kind of maybe to wrap this idea up is another good analogy that I've thought about this is um, origami. Because like I used to be like really into that okay. back in the day, right? And looking at kind of like um, a piece of paper, like a square of paper is very, very good analogy for like a human it's like 
a blank slate, but it's kind of not, right? Like, there are certain restrictions. There are rules to origami. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't cut. You have a square. It's one piece of paper, whatever. So there are limitations to the nature of a human. Mm -hmm. But a child is, a lot of, in a lot of ways, a blank slate. I'm so a blank piece of paper, right? And it depends on how you make those folds, how you crease the paper, how you mold this thing into one shape, one art, piece of art, versus another. Like, you could fold a origami crane or you can fold yourself into a box mm. it's your choice mm. right mm. unfortunately a lot of people have been folded into a box based on other people's expectations obviously they still make the choice i think you have to take responsibility for that mm -hmm. you the life that you got is the life that you chose i believe that but through societal pressures and expectations it ends up like if you follow that path you do everything you're supposed to do you get folded into a box right and then people think oh i'm a box that's it i can't change uh, I think that's a that's a huge fallacy. You can still reverse those steps, unfold the box, and then you think, oh, but I messed up. I'm no longer a blank slate. I have all these creases. Mm. Cool thing about origami is a lot of the same creases that it takes to fold the box are the same ones that you use to fold the crane. That's interesting. It's, it's wild. So, yeah, sure, you might not have everything. There might be some wrinkles. You might have mm. a little bit of scar mm. tissue. Mm -hmm. But you can still fold yourself into a beautiful crane if you want to. Mm -hmm. right? A lot of those folds are still applicable, right? Very applicable. It's yeah. Sometimes it's the same thing. It's just mm. like... Oh, the order and the sequence of them is like, oh, instead of this one being folded in on this one, it's actually that one first, and then you fold this one, and now it's a different shape, mm. right? So I think I, I love that analogy. That's a beautiful of, analogy, yeah. No matter what box you folded yourself into, you can always use those lessons, mm. those creases. The creases are just lessons. You can use them as restrictions or scars or lessons, right? I choose to use them as lessons. You can use those to fold yourself into a beautiful crane. Mm -hmm. No, I like this. I like this. And also like how there's just a it's more mainstream now a lot of these philosophical ideas it, i'd say that but again I, you know i'm biased and my stream is biased because my stream obviously feeds me the stuff i watch well, you have a, a self-awareness of yeah. bias and yeah i think that's important too because you get to choose your bias <laughs> <laughs> yeah 100 no, percent. but it's 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 nice to see an, a, an enlightened generation or one that's far more enlightened than what was previously possible i think they're more allowing more allowing yeah in, in what sense i think a lot of enlightenment comes from being open mm. to allowing different perspectives to exist mm -hmm. without needing yours to be right or wrong because mm -hmm. i think a lot of people have this need or fear of like if i'm wrong or for, if you're right that means i'm wrong mm -hmm. it's very binary right mm -hmm. so i think a lot of you're right this generation has become enlightened in the fact that they acknowledge duality mm. but they also acknowledge range mm -hmm. they acknowledge to what like a dichotomy to be managed and not just like a binary one way or the other mm -hmm. right and that I, comes into like allowing mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. you're allowing other things to exist mm -hmm. while not feeling threatened of well, not having your own worldview threatened yes they can coexist yes and i think that's very beautiful it is beautiful and i think it's conducive to a better society in a lot of a lot of cases and you even see it in economics they they picked up on people's propensity to do better when you let them do what they want to do mm. so you don't make the guy who doesn't really want to do wood work with wood you sort of let him go and like oh you see he really enjoys smithing because he's going to you know put in the hours and become a better smith right yeah. it's the same sort of thing if you allowing other things to exist around you and you're allowing that to happen you find people find their grooves easier they don't maybe because a lot of people are trapped as well in philosophies that 
really are counterproductive to the way they are and the way they mm-hmm, think. And that mm-hmm. can be difficult because it can be a conservative environment that you're coming from and to change this would completely rock the boat and like it's unfamiliar. Save your, and it would you save your tires sounds with like, the alarm bells. You know, and like it's and so for a lot of people it's difficult, but once you start moving through that and people are able to choose their beliefs and find what they want to find without getting a lot of pushback, you find a society where people have more of a, a peace, I guess. And I mean, it's a very idealistic and obviously in general. But I think that's the trajectory a lot of people are heading to. Yeah, and I, I like that. I do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a healthy trajectory. I think... To some degree. No, no, some of that definitely comes from maybe this um, like breaking down of world barriers because there's a lot of like ideas that you're talking about that actually come, that, that, that have already been around in a lot of like Eastern traditions, mm. whereas like they haven't been a very big part of Western traditions, mm-hmm. right? And are you aware of the concept of ikigai? Mm-mm. Okay, that's this is like an example of what I'm talking about. Okay. Ikigai is a Japanese idea of, it basically comes out to meaning your reason for being, your life purpose, right? And it's kind of like the visual is this Venn diagram of four circles of what you love doing, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can make money of. Okay. So it acknowledges like a very wide range of aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And then the intersection of all of those is your ikigai. Okay. Like if you can make money off of it mm-hmm. and you love doing it, mm-hmm. which means you're going to do well and you're good at it. Like see, they all kind of feed into each other yes. because money allows you to do these things in perpetuity yes. because you love it. That leads you to being good at it. Mm-hmm. And being good at it allows you to impact the world in a certain way because the world needs what you have, mm-hmm. right? So they all interplay off of each other. Mm-hmm. And because the world needs what you have, you get value from it and it kind of cycles itself again. And the intersection of all of those is your ikigai. Mm-hmm. And that's a, um, a kind of an old, like ancient Japanese concept. But I think it kind of allows for the differences in ways of being mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, there's not one right, right, right way of being mm-hmm. because there's one, maybe one right way of being for you but it's not me, mm-hmm. right? Or, and, and I think it's, it's, it's a very compact way of, of thinking about that as kind of like a decision filter for mm-hmm. like, what should you be doing with your life? Mm-hmm. Well, does it meet these criteria? Mm-hmm. That's a start, mm-hmm. right? I like that, yeah. And I, it's, I think the, the stream of nature comes through there in human beings with the fact that so many ancient texts and ancient philosophy are so applicable because there is this all that human condition and the human experience the human condition yeah. so and that but that's nice it's nice that there is there are inherent things and things you do um without knowing but other people do as well which is interesting we have certain tendencies and mm-hmm. certain certain ways that are inquisitive and so it's it's cool that they are like fundamental things that 100%. are that are in so yeah absolute i think the human experience yeah. and the human condition is something that's absolute interesting so there, there are fundamental, like absolute things, but there's no objective truth. And I think, I think these are reconciled by understanding. Like, I'll use religion because it's a very kind of quick understanding. Yeah. But I think all religions are really, like, they have the same God. Mm. They really do. Mm. They just are shown different facets, mm-hmm. different faces of them, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. if you want to personify God or whatever you want to vision that as, they're just shown different facets of a larger truth that you cannot comprehend in its entirety at one time mm-hmm. but if you start understanding taking lessons and overlaps from different religions you kind of start understanding like oh it kind of completes itself because mm. i don't i don't really believe one religion is complete on its own mm. right it just doesn't really make sense to me mm-hmm. and if you even tally up all the religions of the world it's not quite complete but it's a little bit more a picture of a 
it's like you know if you were to have like a, a shape a complex shape and this kind of i'm sure you're aware of like the allegory of the cave the cave allegory of the cave from plato i think i'm not actually okay but it's yeah so basically quick rundown of this is like if people are like prisoners locked in a cave and the only thing that they have is the wall of a cave that's lit up and there are shadows being mm. cast on it their entire perspective of reality is just these 2d shadows right and then one of them escapes sees the world for what it is tries to tell other people and then they reject him because that's not what they know mm. right so but it, it kind of comes back to the idea that like a lot of what people think are truths are just two-dimensional projections shadows of a more complex three-dimensional reality mm. right mm -mm. so one religion like islam is just one angle mm. of a shadow mm -hmm. or a reflection of a facet of what truth or source or god is christianity is another hindu is another right mm -hmm. and the ability to appreciate that those are different perspectives of the same thing allows and opens it up for a much more coherent and complete resonance mm -hmm. with reality mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. no i like it yeah i think there's um one other thing i wanted to say though um now that we're kind of on the topic of like all religions have the same god i mean the first thing kind of thing that would come to my mind if i heard that is like well what about like a polytheistic religion mm. right like if you look back at all the mythologies mm. or mm. hinduism for whatever mm -hmm. right but the more you because this is another like very influential class i took in in college was ironically a hindu mythology class okay it's, it's kind of wild because that opened me up to a lot of yeah a lot from that right is that, i mean it's like thousands hundreds it's like a thousand and yeah. something named yeah. gods but it, it it's less about i think the word god is a little bit of a um presumptive translation mm. because you have different classes of gods as well like you have the asuras and the devas which are kind of like gods and demons mm. but they're just they're kind of on the same level just mm -hmm. like again expressing the duality mm -hmm. the polarity of mm -hmm. it all like they're not really regarded as good or bad like obviously like the gods are kind of like good quote unquote and the demons are bad but they also appreciate that they're necessary for one another's existence right you kind of can't have them one without the other and but but they're really just like a different class of being from human right as in, and it doesn't really acknowledge them as like god god as mm. in like christian god or mm -hmm. muslim god right it's 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 a little bit different and there's still other levels even within those mm. gods of like okay well what are the, the main gods and like this and that but the deeper you look into it you also kind of realize like whoa, whoa, whoa they're not even their own gods they're really just different manifestations of different facets of god mm -hmm. right so like shiva would be more of like the destroyer and creator aspect of god mm -hmm. not a god on its own mm -hmm. it's just shiva is the embodiment of that archetype mm -hmm. of that capacity mm -hmm. of god but mm -hmm. it's only one part of god right yeah and then you you have all the other ones kind of locking into their places but they all are kind of just different embodiments and expressions that you can tell stories about mm -hmm. to understand them and that's really what mythology is it's just mm -hmm. stories of archetypes yes. right to understand better source mm -hmm. god mm -hmm. there there's a um a fantastic book um autobiography of a yogi mm -hmm. it's the story of this um yogi Paramahamsa, Paramahamsa yogananda and like how he his journey of becoming what he is or was and explaining a lot of these aspects of hinduism and spirituality and, and he acknowledges like other religions primarily like christianity in that one as well and he's like yeah no that's actually talking about the same thing it's just different perspectives and like mm -hmm. you know and then you might and you know like when you 
see like a vision of God. It's not actually like that's God. It's just mm. that's what source has chosen to appear to you as mm. that will relate to you more. Mm -hmm. Because like if a Christian like, you know, has a vision of God and it's like five-armed Vishnu or ten-headed yes. Brahma or whatever, it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's a little much, right? Yeah. But they're going to relate to Jesus. Mm. They're going to relate to a prophet or something like right, that, right? right? And then vice versa. Yeah. It's, it's so it aligns with what you need at that time. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, the conclusion that I kind of got out of this is that Hinduism, though like stereotypical polytheistic religion, mm -hmm. is a monotheistic religion. Right, because there's that one prime there's source. There's one source. There's one prime that source. That manifests yeah. in different ways, which mm -hmm. is interesting. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I like, I, I, I do agree with you. I don't, I'm more open to all the religions i appreciate that jason full, yeah. yeah to pull the ball because like how quick you are to like accept it like and you get it mm. like i appreciate the, mm. the that kind of a conversation that i've had with you and the openness mm. oh, this has been a pleasure absolutely yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.